Hey, this is Rob and that's Micaiah and you are listening to a bonus episode of You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, the 50 year anniversary of maybe music's greatest year, 1971. Micaiah, it has been called by many the greatest or most important year in the history of music. What do our listeners need to know about 1971? What you need to know about 1971 is that any artist that you love around that time either came out with an album that year or was recording an album that year. I mean, and it is everybody. Like, I mean, really. Uh, Sign the Family Stone, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, Aretha Franklin, you know, the Rolling Stones, you know, I mean, it, it really never ends. Joni and Mitchell, Carol King. It's endless. Yeah. It's endless. <laughs> and, um, but for some crazy reason, we have gotten together to, with our guest, for each of us to put together our 10 kind of favorite or 10 best of, however we define that list from 1971 so people are probably going to be hooting and hollering and then in the next announcement of whatever i'm on our list um screaming and shouting who knows but this is going to be exciting uh because there are so many right answers to this list because there are so many great albums uh not a lot of wrong choices to make here um which makes it really tough and but also very fun so this this is a fun one this is a fun challenge, I think. Absolutely. So we're not going to take any more time wasting your time. We're going to be right back with our guests, uh, friends of the pod. You heard them as we talked about Elvis Costello, Elizabeth Nelson, and Timothy Bracey will be with us when we get back from the break. And we're going to talk about the best albums of the most important year in music history, 1971 you'll want to stay with us and come on back and hear those lists. Who better to have on to talk about 1971, a great year of music, then our friends, Tim and Elizabeth, who, who believe, um, like, like Micaiah, like my co-host does, that when you're looking at the great albums of 1971, it's easy to put a whole lot of emphasis on Marvin Gaye's what's going on. But we thought we want to have some fellow fans of Sly and the Family Stones. There's a riot going on as the better album of that year. So Micaiah, why don't you go ahead and take us away? Tell us about 1971 and walk us through our shared lists of the greatest albums of the year. I guess I'll start by saying that if anyone hasn't seen the, that documentary series that's on um, Apple TV, that's a pretty good jumping off point uh, that kind of contextualizes a lot of stuff that's happening in 1971. Uh, Vietnam, of course, is a big deal. So you're going to see it reflected in country music and R&B music and rock music. It's, it's all over um, the, those records. Uh, 
Um, yeah, uh, civil rights issues, uh, the Black Power movement was another big thing. Uh, the Nixon administration in general, um, pretty, pretty, you know, analogous to the recent administration that we were um, dealing with uh, for since 2016. So, you know, not, you know, a, a pretty familiar political, sociopolitical climate, uh, I think. So I think that's what makes a lot of these albums hold up also. You know, they, they don't feel out of reach, even though they're 50 years old, uh-huh. you know. And other than that, there's just like a lot of just just purely great pop music, great rock music. You know, even the stuff that doesn't seem to comment on the time is just still exceptionally great music. Um, and one reason we wanted uh, Tim Elizabeth on here is because they, they made this bold claim when we were talking about Elvis Costello that there's a riot going on is better. And you guys are putting your... We gave you, you know, we wanted you to hear y'all's list about some of the best albums of all time. And you said things like Sticky Fingers, There's a Riot Going On. And I think there's like one or two other ones. I was just like, these are all from 1971, like the better part of your list. And I know, um, Elizabeth, that you had also written about Tapestry uh, recently. So when, you know, when uh, we couldn't have you guys for a slide, it just seemed like, well, why don't we just have them talk about 1971 yeah. as a whole? I mean, that seems uh, pretty perfect. So what we've all done is we've all put together a top 10 list of the best albums of 1971. There's going to be, I'm sure, a lot of overlap, but there's probably going to be a lot of probably some like unique picks too. I, I, I bet we'll be like kind of like half like, yeah, this is unanimous and maybe half like, Oh, you went with that. So I, I'm really curious to see how, how everyone, how everyone plays this. So who should go first? How, how should we play it? Uh, Makai, I, I really want to hear your list. You want me to go first? Yeah, because I, I'll be honest. Um, you and I, you know, so for our listeners, Makai and I, as we prepare for these episodes, we share multiple iterations of our list throughout the week leading up to recording an episode And my list has changed dramatically over the course of this week. And one thing that we should probably mention for our listeners is we are recording this on Wednesday, August 25th. Mm -hmm. And so we are recording this the day after finding out about the death of one of the Rolling Stones founding member and drummer. And because of that, I have been listening to the Rolling Stones nonstop for the last 24 hours which is also leading to sticky fingers climbing up my list higher than it would have been otherwise. And so um, I, I want to lean into that and, you know, we'll, we'll go with the um, sentimentality of, of moving an album up the list because of the death of one of the, of one of the band members. And I'm okay with that. Um, but all that to say, Makai, I kind of want you to go first because I'm I'm still kind of coming up with my final list as we're talking right now. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll go first, and I, I I'm sure that our guests and Rob that w- when I get this ten out, I'm sure the, the the majority of things you'll have to say is what I did not include, which is of course the nature of the. Have you forgot one? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll go from the top down. I think that'll be more fun, actually. Number one for me with the bullet, Blue by Joni Mitchell. Blue 
see before Crown and anchor me Oh, let me sail away Hey, Blue There is a song for you In Conopian Underneath the skin um, not, not only is it my, I think, number one of 1971, I think this is a for sure top five all-time favorite record. Uh, I think it's perfect. Um, we'll, we'll definitely discuss it season two, so I don't want to say too much here, but uh, this is one I, I listen to this album routinely, regularly. I mean, like, this is... One I have framed on the wall. I got the CD in the car. I have another copy of the record on the shelf ready to spin. Um, I think Joni is just now maybe getting the credit she deserves. Um, also today, uh, the Grammys or one of the associations they're affiliated with named her like Woman of the Year or Artist of the Year, uh, which is which is great and. She doesn't come up when they, when people talk about Dylan and Neil Young and all these people, but she can out-sing both of them for sure. Um, I think she can out-play both of them also on guitar, uh, piano, uh, dulcimer. And yeah. and I think she can... Um, there have been times in her career where she was out-writing them well, also. For sure. I mean... I think it's one of those things where I think she falls into that category of talents where it's like, she was kind of ahead, you know I mean? Yeah. Uh, she was the way she, you know, getting Jacko Pistorius to play in Hegera or, you know, just the, you know, the open tunings, all of it, the, yeah. you know, the, the, the sort of the confessional narrative songwriting that was so close to the bone that I think Chris Christopherson, when she played in blue was like Joni, you know, is there going to be anything left for you? And, I think, you know, uh, part of it is probably misogyny, but part of it is just that's how talented she is that it took probably 20 years for people to really get their mind around it. Right. And it is for people like like who we love, Elvis Costello, he's been someone who's like, Joni is the best. Like, this is one yeah. of the people who Prince. I admire. Yeah. Prince, was, Prince in the 80s said that he hadn't liked an album from start to finish since 1975's Hissing of Summer Lawns. Yeah. Uh, a lot of great albums came out in that time period, but Hissing of Summer Lawns is a, it's my number two, Joni Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I, I dig that quote, but no, you're right. I mean, it's, it's so confessional. I mean, now it's just, it's kind of the norm for the singer songwriter to be that kind of open, but for like a woman in 1971 to sing an autobiographical song about giving up her child when she was younger and saying in the song, I don't regret it. Yeah. I mean, that is yeah. She's wild. Yeah. Wild. I, I have to say that for my purposes, I mean, I, I, I am absolutely convicted of uh, the genius of the record and for all of the reasons that you're stipulating it, but I could not mainline it in the way that you do. I mean, I, you know, it's too, it's too heavy for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like having a very, very, very strong drink uh sure. you know uh, and um and and you do i mean you you admire her so much and then at the same time there's a sort of sense of like 
you know, you, you, you dread what comes after that level of bloodletting, you know, I mean, and she was fine. She was great. She just got better if anything, but, but it's that, it's it vibrates on that frequency of like this is almost a, a dangerous level of truth telling uh mm-hmm. and she's brave um it's a, it, it's extraordinary extraordinary yeah. uh number two my number two and three are it's really going to be mood based but number two is what's going on um on this list and yeah it's it's what's going on we did an episode on it what's left to say about it Uh, and number three, there's a riot going on. I mean, just two great companion like records for just like looking at this time. My number four is Electric Warrior by T-Rex. The best glam album of all time. Um, I I mean, music people dig Mark Boland, but I don't think enough people really appreciate him to the the point that that, that he deserves. You know, like, I don't think enough people realize that Bowie was just looking at Lou Reed, looking at Mark Bolin is like, I'm going to put these two together, put my spin on it. That's Ziggy Stardust, baby. Like, I don't, you know, I think, you know, so people, people love Lou Reed. Well, I mean, I'm in the States, so I guess people love him in America. I'm sure they love him everywhere. Um, but yeah, I don't think Mark Bolin gets it. I don't know if it's because T-Rex was so popular um, among like, maybe because his fan base was mostly young young women and young girls that maybe people don't take it as seriously, but I mean that run like electric warrior and the slider are yeah, just yeah. two killer. Yeah. Records. yeah. I need to be wonderful it's just sort of rhythm player in that sense of like you know where stuff just dan, 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 dan. Yeah. and then and tony visconti as producer you Absolutely. know yeah. kind of the two of them putting that you know and coming out of tyrannosaurus rex which was you know kind of you know 
hippy dippy and then sort of <laughs> but you know now I'm like what happened <laughs> you know i mean oh my god you know and all of a sudden right. you had, uh yeah i mean uh i think you're probably right about pulling reputationally in terms of he does not get the you know, sort of, you know, credit for being a, a, a sweeping genius in the way that Bowie <laughs> or Lou Reed do. But uh, yeah. uh, but around here in these parts, uh, he does. <laughs> yeah. he, he just, we never travel from very, very far without a little Mark Wallen, So Rightfully so. Yeah, he's the, he's the best. Um, and then number five, I mean, I guess this makes sense too. Just like another companion to that is, is Hunky Dory yeah. uh, by Bowie. Every time I thought I got it made, it seemed the taste was not so sweet. So I turned myself to face me. I've never caught a glimpse how the others must see the faker. I'm much too fast to take that test. Change it. Yeah, it's Bowie. Come on, this is where Bowie finds himself, finds his audience. Changes life on Mars. Oh, you pretty thick. I mean, this is just start to finish. Great album that is clearly riffing on Mark Bowen, but also, you know, has a, a wink and a nod to Andy Warhol and Bob Dylan. You know, it's just kind of really showing all his cards. And yeah, I mean, I feel like I don't have to defend Bowie. Um, no, I think, no, I think we can let a Bowie pass. I, yeah, yeah, I don't but think you know, What I think Hungry Dory, there's a musical theater element. You know, I mean, which I think, you know, was kind of his background. And I don't know, you know, you know, as we would get through Elton John and we get through, you know, so on and so forth, it would become a little bit more commonplace, you know, or up into Andrew Lloyd Webber to integrate these things. But I'm not sure anyone had really done it quite like, I mean, maybe some of the music hall stuff that uh, the Kinks and and, and, and McCartney and, but I mean, really Hunky Dory is like, this is weird. Yeah. This is weird piano show tune music uh that is uh i don't know uh a big fan we're big fans my my fiance said the funniest thing uh, we were listening to she um she teaches dance and so every now and then she has to do it she, she teaches tap and she teaches jazz and musical theater wow and she's always looking for for songs so i was like you know i've got one for you I played her something from Hunky Dory. She's like, who is this? Is this P.B. Herman? What is this? Like, she just thought it was just like so bizarre and so yeah. weird. It's like P.B. Yeah. Herman. I just turned it off. I was like, you know, you, you don't, you don't deserve this. <laughs> you know? Uh, so, but it's, it makes me like the, that song even more. Like, I can't remember what song. It's, it's one of the more like jaunty piano ones um, that would make for like a good kind of soft shoe. Uh, six. Uh, this is, this, this is, uh, very just personal I, I don't know that a lot of people would call this top 10 best of 1971 but Ram by Paul and Linda McCartney
think it's Paul's best solo effort. Um, I think it's the second best um, of any of the Beatles post Beatles album. Uh, for me, number one would be John Lennon, uh, Plastic Ono Band, Ram number two, then All Things Must Pass, probably uh, number three. Uh, but Ram, uh, start to finish, just great. It's, it's where Paul is finally getting to compete with Brian Wilson the way that he's been wanting to. You know, it's just like, I'm going to outproduce him. I'm going to outright. I'm going to have more fun than him. I'm, I'm going to really go for it here. And uh, to great success. Um, number seven, Maggot Brain, Funkadelic. Good choice. This is one. This is a no. This one's a no-brainer. I think we we may all have this one uh, potentially. Number eight, one that might be specific to my list and probably should just be next to Ram. I, I'm realizing now as I say these out loud that these a lot of these are companion picks. Uh, Surfs up by the Beach Boys, uh, which I think is a, a really great record. Um, there's like one sore thumb on there. Uh, Mike loves like student demonstration land where the chorus is there's a riot going on it's just like you look silly um doing this um like like talk about something that does not hold up like that that side too that opens with feel flows i gotta be i mean i'll tell you i put that on in the uh you know in in the run-up to this to do a little research i hadn't heard it for a long time and and uh, that record really weirds me out. I mean, I feel very, it's got a very uncomfortable, it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of druggy, but it's kind of easy listening to. And they're sort of like, you know, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, sort of some of the quasi topical, topical stuff and, you know, don't go in the ocean. And I'm just, I, I, I mean, I like, I, I, I have absolutely no issue with somebody enjoying it very much, but I, it would, it, it makes me panicky. A blind class aristocracy Back through the opera glass You see the pit and the pendulum It's very weird. I mean, you've built your entire career on Surfer in USA and Surfer Girl, and your first track is Don't Go Near the Water. <laughs> and you get this this cover that is dark. You know, it's just like, what's yeah, happening? 
what is going on on the cover? No, the whole thing, whole thing. Yeah. Whole thing, panic attack for me. It's uh, well, yeah. And, but then, but then you get a song like Disney Girls. You know, he's like, I don't know what this is doing here. Uh, but I'm here for as someone who, you know, lived in Orlando for so long and uh, knew Disney girls. Like, it's like, I don't think this means anything to anyone other than like, like people like where I'm from, like people who uh-huh. grow up going to Disney, working at Disney, still work at Disney. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like there, that there is a culture there. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it's, so, a, it's, it's an entire society. Yeah. So I, 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 I get it, but I mean, in the song, the, the song surfs up is one of Brian's great compositions for sure. left over from the smile sessions for sure. put on here. Absolute like brilliant piece of music from him. Um, the bottom three is where it gets hard, right? I mean, I'm, I can't be alone in this is what, this is how you really have to start narrowing it down. And uh, the most recent time I made this list, number nine was songs of love and hate by Leonard Cohen. Oh, nice. Well, yeah. Step into an avalanche It covered up my soul When I am not this hunchback that you see I sleep beneath a golden hill You who wish to conquer pain You must learn, learn to serve me It came to me one of my music ruts where I was like, I'm not hearing anything that inspires me lately. I'm not hearing anything that excites me. And I was just kind of just like, okay, what, what, who, who's someone I haven't like really gotten into? And I, it was Leonard Cohen. I was like, yeah, I, I haven't, I, I know he's great. I know Hallelujah. I know Suzanne or, you know, so just like, I need to, I need to, I need to really go all in. And I put that album on an avalanche came on. I was like, this is what I've been needing. Like, this yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and then and and then it didn't ease up like the whole time. I'm like, yes, I, I went I I listened to it, streaming admittedly, went to the record store. I was at work listening to it on my lap like computer at work. Yeah. Left, went to the record store, bought it. I was just like, this is it. Uh, so love that record. And then number ten, this is what we'll have to do. We'll all have to give our top ten, and then we'll have to say the hardest one it was to leave off. I think that might be the the most fun way to do this potentially. All right, so looking at it now, all right, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go for it. Number ten, maybe should have been closer to like Ram and Surfs Up for my little companion, you know, albums. Uh, but Nelson Schmilson by Harry Nelson, uh, just a great record, start to finish. Um, I bought it because I saw the album cover. I was like, this is neat. And I thought I was just doing like a blind purchase. I thought I was like, you know what? This is a really cool cover. I'm going to take it home and just see what's on here. And I was like, oh, I know this song. I know this song. I also know that this isn't a blind purchase at all. This is Coconut. This is the song from Goodfellas. This is the song from Casino. This is the song from Reservoir Dog. It was just like, this is this has been in my life all these years. Not that I was just going to like find some sort of you know gem uh, it turns out i just stumbled upon this like beloved album with just 
just a long list of hit songs and then you start looking at it and you're like yeah okay i see why someone like john lennon would say harry nelson's my favorite songwriter So that that's I, I'm go, I'm gonna go with that one. I'm gonna stick to that one. Great great album title, great album cover, and another you know just bona fide musical genius. You know the songwriter hardest to leave off because it was so instrumental in my upbringing. Uh, the fourth Zeppelin album, which the first time I heard Black Dog, I was just like, oh, I guess I'm all about this now. the songs are using like almost famous which looking at this list it's hard to see because i'm i'm younger than everybody here all right i i'm 30 so i'm looking at this list river by Joni mitchell is in almost famous um bowie's in almost famous um but it's waiting for my man a live version of it um feel flows from surfs up is in that movie as well and there were like a couple of zeppelin songs from the fourth album in particular they're on almost famous so i think i've come through a lot of these albums through movies which admittedly is my first love anyway um i was watching i was taking movies seriously before i was taking music seriously so i guess that's how that happened but that's today right now that is my 10 and the hardest one it was for me to leave off for 1971 it's interesting to me that you have Nilsson Schmilson as your 10th album and then, and then referenced after that, your, your love for movies, because I feel like my difficulty in getting into Nilsson Schmilson is the sheer number of ways in which I feel like all of those songs have been used in, in so many movies that I've seen. And so it almost like, because I, I, you know, it's a very similar thing. I know that album from the movies that it's in rather than knowing that album as it's, as a, as a piece unto itself, I feel like it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to conceptualize that album as a whole rather than like, Oh, it's this from that movie or this from that. Like it, it ends up sounding almost more like a, like a movie soundtrack to me more than it does like a piece of art unto itself. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's fair. Um, maybe not fair for the record, but I think that's a fair 
way of like looking at an album. I mean, for all of us, uh, for those of us who you know weren't there in 1971 to be listening to it. Yeah, we we um, we weren't Cameron Crowe, so we don't you know we don't have that experience. Right. Let, let me ask happen. this. So <laughs> here's a real question. Here's a real question for husband and wife. And again, you you remain the only husband and wife couple that we've had on our our podcast so far. But we really like it because you know me being married and Makai being engaged, we we both understand that that the tension that can sometimes exist between a couple's differing music taste. Like there has to be enough overlaps that you get along really well. You also play in a band together. So there also has to be huge overlap there, but there still has to be some unique musical taste to that. So that being said, did you each do your own list or do you have a shared list? We did a shared list. Yeah, we did a shared list, but we, we sort of separately compiled candidates and then we, talk through them uh, in uh, the committee fashion, which is uh, native to Washington, D.C. people. And, uh, <laughs> and then we negotiated. Uh, there was some filibustering, but eventually we were able to uh, come up with a, 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 a completed piece of legislation. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's I mean, one thing that I think we do a lot is bringing one another around to things that we might not uh Otherwise, I mean, I feel like I've learned more about great bands I didn't know about or great artists from Elizabeth than anybody else. And uh, some of that, you know, requires some some prompting. And some of it requires like, no, seriously, listen, you know, and, I, you know, when I'm just going to be like, yeah, I'm going to put on whatever I always listen to. And she's like, no. And so uh, it's fun. That makes it fun, you know. Yeah. Well, then, then if I can be so bold, let's let's hear it. I'll let, I'd love to hear the list. And then I'd love to hear. If, if you'd be so willing to share, maybe share with us some of those places where you had to have, you know, committee meetings and hold hearings and, you know, maybe see if there was some, uh, some PAC money to help influence a decision from, oh, from the outside. Of a lobbying influence, yeah. Um, so our number one is, I believe this is correct. Uh, there's a ride going on. Oh, yeah. Uh, number one with a bullet, that was not a difficult one no. to decide on. No. Somebody that just loves to learn and another child grows up to be somebody you just love to burn. Mom loves the both of them. You see it's in the blood. Both kids are good and bomb. Blood's thicker than the mud. It's a family affair. To me, I, I mean, it's a very uh, an, an unbelievably beautiful album and, and the sort of record that could only be made under the particular circumstances in which it was, which was this board. I think Sly's mind was kind of fraying and he was you know, recording and re-recording things. I think they did it in Stone's mobile truck, but, you know, the, so much so, you know, that the, the tape's beginning to kind of run together and it's starting to degrade a little bit and it 
fits in thematically with the sense of this kind of de degrading of this 60s dream and the realization that for, you know, uh, a guy who had been, uh, you know, emblematic of this sort of um, uh, utopian post-racial notion of the late 60s, in fact, uh, it, the call was coming from in the house and, and, and all of these affluent hippies that he had cast his lot with were really not in league with uh, underserved people at all. And it was just a, it's a terrible, it's, a, it's like you wake up, you know, you're having a dream and you wake up and you realize this whole thing is a lie. And it's just, a, it's, a, it's a painful, I think it's one of the most painfully uh, adroit and, 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 and authentic statements uh, about uh, the uh, American experience as an underserved person uh, that's ever been written. I mean, I, I, it's so powerful, it's almost beyond me to, to put it into words for sure so what is number two for y'all um so this is i think the first place where micaiah you and us um diverge but rob you uh, we might share this one in common but and it might be a sentimental favorite but who cares sticky fingers mm -hmm. Let, let me ask this. Tell, tell me what you love about Sticky Fingers. Why, why is that? Why is that an album ranked so high for you all? Besides everything, because <laughs> this isn't just like a 1971. This is your favorite Stones record, also, right? Well, I, I mean, we we love it. I mean, I, I think you know when we actually ranked these for Stereo Gum. Um, oh, okay. And I believe we had Exile at number one. Um, and you know, I think the argument can be made that Exile is a is a more powerful record but sticky fingers is i mean i think for us you know something that we go back to all the time it's a beautiful record it's um you know they're going back to what they do best which mm -hmm. is this kind of modern take on blues and um so it's nice to kind of see them strip things back um but the you know the track listing is awesome there are so many good uh uh, great readings of, of the material um i don't know tim says when like... he dies he wants me to play you've got to move um <laughs> so, you know um that's nice for us to talk about 
it, it, it's it, what is extraordinary to me uh, about Sticky Fingers, uh, amongst other things, is here you've got these guys who, you know, are at the absolute apex of their powers commercially, musically, um, you know, you know, everything they set out to do, they did. They've, they've outlasted the Beatles. Uh, and yet, uh, on some level, it's, 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 it's the most saddest, most isolating, most just kind of like, it, it, for uh, how can a band that's this famous and this beloved and this fetishized feel so alienated from themselves? I think it comes through in Wild Horses. I think it comes through, you know, in Sister Morphine, you know, it's just, you know, it's like, what did, we did it, but what exactly did we do? And uh, should we reconsider, you know? And then that sort of coupled, and then, you know, coupled with, you know, going down to Muscle Shoals and recording a couple tracks there and, and, and the romance of, uh, around that. Um, and um, yeah, man, just the tunes, Mick Taylor, I mean, Pete Mick Taylor, can't you hear me knocking? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, some days that's some days that's my favorite. Uh, some days that's your favorite. Yeah, uh, and then you know, some days exile. I don't know. Can I can I ask this question of you both about this album? Because this this is a thought that I've had for the last two days listening to it. Does brown sugar feel out of place to you on this album? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly feels in place anywhere other than you know. Uh, a, 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 1813 vaudeville show uh uh, you know it's a weird way to start the record uh i don't want to try to parse uh the uh the relative uh it's a great riff i like i I like the song i still listen to the song i don't want to parse the 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 relative merits of the thought process behind the lyrics um that's above my pay grade but yeah it's a little weird i mean and, and in many ways and i like it but in many ways the record starts for me with sway you know this yeah. song it's like that's really it's like they did this and it's kind of like mix doing his gimmick and it's great riff and they wanted to single but thematically really it starts with sway for me which is a song i love yeah. and which is a song that keith didn't play on i don't think he showed up so that's Mick on guitar, Mick on rhythm, and uh, and uh, Mick Jagger on rhythm, and Mick Taylor on lead. All right, what's number three? All right, can I just pause here and just do a quick honorable mention because we're talking about Sticky Fingers. This can also be the one that we lamented um, leaving yeah. off to. But um, so um, the Flaming Groovies, Teenage Head, also came out in 1971. The uh, Flaming Groovies. Yes, and I only want to recommend this album because it's awesome. Oh, 
also because um, they're basically doing kind of the exact same thing that the Stones did on Sticky Fingers. And Mick Jagger heard this record and said, well, frankly, I think that they did what we were trying to do much better. So the Flaming Groovies are this band from San Francisco. They were at that time um, basically fronted by uh, Cyril Jordan and Roy Loney. Uh, they were the principal songwriters. Um, and they were like having none of the psychedelic hippie San Francisco bullshit that was accustomed, you know, to the late 60s, early 70s of the scene. And they were stripping it back, doing kind of, you know, more rockabilly, more blues rock, more just kind of this modern take on on blues. And um, they have a couple of records that came out before this album called Teenage Head. Um, but it's just this, it's like the stonesiest thing that the Stones couldn't have done. The title track could be one of your Chuck Berry songs. Um, and it's just very cool. And, um, but anyway, I just wanted to recommend it because it's evidently, according to Mick Jagger, better than Sticky Fingers. And I love it. Oh. It's a lot of fun. It's it's just like like Credence, but horny. Um, <laughs> and like, like on speed. Like, um, so I just, I just wanted okay. to say like, um, you know, that's a nice companion piece to Sticky Fingers. Sticky Fingers is probably a more powerful record but Teenage Head's a lot of fun. If you look at the cover, you're just like, okay, I know what I'm getting myself into. They just look like really scary guys. Cretans, but horny on speed? <laughs> I love that you said that because my process was to listen to at least 50 albums to get ready for this, and that wasn't even one of them. Okay, so number three, Tapestry. my girl carol king um i think she's brilliant i think she's a genius i think you know she was actually recording this record in the same studio as Joni mitchell uh at the same time she was recording blue so i mean you know they were colleagues and, and friends and uh, Joni sings on the record um you know uh in, in terms of you know Joni's just being sort of a raw open vein of brilliant songwriting by the way and, and this is not to dismiss Joni because all of these are number one on in my heart um I, I think you know Carol King first of all had a career before Tapestry that was mm -hmm. you know, she was this incredible songwriter she was working with Gary Goffin um and producing just hit after hit after hit after hit and when that fell apart you know she went into the studio and produced this album of you know just solid bangers uh there's not a, a dull moment on the record for for my lights um uh i i just i love it i can't recommend it enough i think it gets overlooked sometimes um because it's a little bit like equated with easy listening and the smooth sounds of the 70s um but i disagree um fundamentally with that premise that you know it's not smooth it's it, it is tough and she um strips back a lot of her more poppy songs that she had with um 
Gary Goffin, she does a great reading of Will You Love Me Tomorrow um, that, you know, is not necessarily the iconic version, but it's beautiful. And um, I just I, I just love the record. And so I'm, I'm putting it at three. Uh, that was probably not where we agreed at what should be at three, but I, I won that one. I mean, this is I mean, the album was a long time coming. I mean, she was one of the great songwriters of the 60s working in the Brill building. Right. Just like just constantly turning out songs, yeah. just like I mean, what? I mean, they, I mean, it really was just like a songwriting factory. Oh God! Yeah, and and she was told uh, back then that she was too unattractive yeah. to be a singer, so she was a songwriter. And then you know, then she uh, after her divorce, um, she I guess revisit some old songs and write some new ones, and the, and you get these just the best compositions. I mean, any song that's on Tapestry is my probably my favorite version of that song. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Exists. yeah. Um, yep. Even though it's not in my top ten, I mean, like it's it's just undeniable. Well, and I think yeah, it's just that I mean, she was a, a very much a working class, you know, Brooklyn girl, uh, a, a daughter of first generation immigrants who, you know, so when she writes, you know, you make me feel like a natural woman for Aretha. And there's a lot of shared experience there. I think there's a lot of shared mm-hmm. hardship. I think there's a reason why. Uh, Aretha connected that material so profoundly, and when Carol King sings it herself on Tapestry, it's 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 beautiful in a different way, but it's absolutely beautiful and feels absolutely authentic. I think that um, you know she's an just like just an absolutely incredible American story. You know, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it was a long time coming when she recorded Tapestry, but I think she was all of about 26, 27 because yeah, she started when she was. 14 or whatever you know i mean and made her way through the industry uh yes i might have put it a tick lower but i i am i I am it wasn't like uh you know like a full-blown art here's a fun fact when i first started collecting records rob um gave me a stack of things that he had duplicates of and tapestry was one of them nice yeah so that's so a little yeah little little treat are you sure you're comfortable having less than two I'm I'm a big fan of like there's there's maybe a dozen records that if I'm ever you know at like a record shop and I find like a used copy of something for less than ten bucks even if I have a copy of it like if I find a copy of one of those records for less than ten bucks I buy it with just like the assumption of like there's someone I can give this to like there's 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 someone else who needs this yeah in my life I have a rule that like if I see Neil Young's on the beach. I'm going to buy it. Like <laughs> yeah. there're just some just like if I like it's either going to go on the wall, it's going to be reserved for a gift. If it's better than the one I have on the shelf, we'll swap, you know, it's yeah. just yeah. there's just so much like if I see it, it's coming home with me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's wise. Yeah. I and, think ours yeah. is Rockpile Seconds of Pleasure. Oh, we yeah, somehow we, we have a lot have of Rockpile Seconds. Saved of a lot of copies. Like why would you <laughs> away like yeah you, take it home it's like a philistine <laughs> a four dollars no well yeah for sure i think i think we can all agree that this is an epic group <laughs> all right number so four number, number four yeah four hunky dory yeah great album it's a god awful small affair to the girl with the mousy hair but her mommy is yelling no Daddy has told her to go But her friend is nowhere to be seen Now she walks through her sunken dream 
to the seats with the clearest view And she's hooked to the silver screen But the film is a sad thing for For she's lived it ten times or more She could spit in the eyes of fools As they ask her to focus on singers Fighting in the dance hall Talk about musical theater and what it means to you. About what musical theater means to yeah. me? Well, I'm a I, I'm a huge fan. I'm from Long Island. I mean, I grew up going to Broadway shows. Um, and, play, and playing. And playing. And in, acting. And acting in plays. I'm a huge theater. We talked about this last time. We okay. talked about how Rob was in Little Shop of Horrors. Okay. And, uh, um, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> not not just a Little Shop of Horrors. I mean, we can, I mean, I think, I think Elizabeth, mm-hmm. I think the people want to know, our listeners want to know. Like let's let's hear it. They want to they want to hear the deep dive into your, your history of musical theater. We want the credits. You oh know, it's it's been a long time since people have been able to go, you know, and actually have a playbill in their hand and they want to be able to see, like, all right, what were Elizabeth's credits? Uh the music man, the sound of music, um, carousel uh pippin. Um, I played in the pit orchestra of a production of Godspell. Um, cool. Let's see what else. Um, West Side Story. I played in the pit orchestra. Um, I can't remember. Like I and I went to theater camp, um, and so there was like Gypsy. And I mean, way too young, by the way. Uh, but productions of Gypsy and uh, Little Shop Horrors and. Um, I can't even remember everything. I think but they're convinced. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> have the bona fides. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. I, I've seen well, cats more it, than once. Yeah. Like, that's Too not fun. something anybody does. No, no. I, um, I, I, and so I, I, just, I just think of, I just to revisit the previous conversation. I, I mean, uh, there's something so subversive about Bowie sneaking this material in there. Like, you know, mm. uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm a, I, 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 I'm a, I'm a, handsome if, 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 if tall and thin rock star and you know and you know and you know here's a here's a little Jacques Brel or just you know it's like I, it's so and I agree with you he is riffing off Bolin he is riffing off Lou Reed but it's, there's a third element to it as well that's just like why what nobody is you know like and and then and this and there's some weird shit in there like Bellway Brothers you know oh, like fantastic song yeah, I mean, yeah. and at the end of the record, and you're just kind of like, and what just happened? So number six. Okay, number six. Wait, are we at five? Five. Five. Okay. Oh my goodness. Oh okay. yeah, it's like I threw in teenage head, but um, uh, but um, number five for us. But who's next?
think Tim loves Who's Next. And I love Who's Next. That was sort of, you know, one of Townsend's, um, you know, concept ideas that turned into this incredible rock record. Um, and it, it's one of, it's not, I don't know my favorite Who record, but I think it's, it's you know, one of their best. It's one of their most exciting uh, in terms of beginnings and endings and everything. I mean, if, it, if in fact the, the maxim holds that there's beginnings and there's endings and the rest is filler, like that's a great example of doing a great beginning. So and a great ending. Bob O'Reilly and Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it, it's, it's quite extraordinary. Uh, I love Townsend. I don't think of Townsend as being a particularly really sophisticated political thinker um, which isn't to say I think he is a horrible political thing. I mean, I, 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 but I mean, in, in its weird way, I think won't get fooled again. And um, who's next are mirroring some of the cynicism of there's a riot going on, uh, mirroring some of the cynicism of some of the other records we'll talk about coming up about, you know, kind of like the bloom is off the rose on the hippie movement. This has been a lot of, uh, you know, uh, a, a lot of a lot of a lot of talk and, and not a lot of doing things the new boss is just like the old boss and um and i think that that sense of weariness and they were always an angry band but to the extent that you know uh tommy you know was this landmark of you know theoretical utopian messianism you know who's next is to retreat into like nasa so uh, what about number six? We have Joni Mitchell's Blue at number six. Yeah. favorite record of hers though I, uh, I think it's a completely credible choice as being a favorite record um, um what is your favorite Joni uh, I, I think I think it's I think it's a jar most days um sometimes it's court and spark um hmm. maybe it's court and spark I don't know whatever I don't think <laughs> uh I, I mean hissing at some alarms is fucking incredible I mean I you know I, I mean yeah I mean you you, you you know, a lot of ways to not go wrong. Um, When's the I, last time you guys listened to her 1991 album, Night Ride Home? We did stick that on, funnily enough, when you were working on the Carol King thing. Yeah. And yeah. Um, So that was like a couple months ago? Yeah, yeah. a couple few months ago. And it, it's kind of great. 
I think it holds up extraordinarily <laughs> like, well. Because well, I feel it's pretty well dismissed in the moment, but I was like, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of great. But there, I mean, I, I think one of my favorite observations about Blue came from our friend James Jackson Toth, who's also a songwriter, um, who wrote a piece of. Uh, he ranked her albums for Stereo Gum. Um, and uh, he was talking about the nuance in her lyrics and in that song, A Case of You, which I guess is about Leonard Cohen. Um, you know, she says, I could drink a case of you and still be on my feet. And he wonders, um, is this an insult or a come on? Like, I mean, even there's like a little bit of like light humor, even with what she's doing in her lyrics. So it's, it's a heavy hang, but I think it's a, a beautiful record and, and certainly um, one that uh, deserves being in it any top 10 i think so all right uh what are we doing here seven number seven muswell hillbillies oh yeah oh this is so funny i i'm gonna jump ahead of you i've been i was doing so much 1971 listening that i needed a break and i decided to do uh a king's thing a whole king's run through because i hadn't done it before and i was like oh what, what do people say about the whole king's discography and i did a quick Google search and y'all came up again. Uh, y'all's list. So yeah, can't can't get away from from y'all and y'all's list. So they made me real real happy to see y'all there. So one more time, your number seven was The Kinks' Muswell Hillbillies. Granny's always raving ranting, and she's always puffing and panting, and she's always screaming and shouting, and she's always brewing up tea. Which is a record that we love. I, I think it was, it was quite high on our list. I, I maybe it was top five. Top five yeah, for that, sure. Was it one? It's so it's you know I, I, this is a great, this is a, a, an incredibly exciting record to me. This is where uh, Ray Davis, uh, you know, embraces both his Amer love, uh, his deep, deep, profound love of uh, sort of uh, American country and Western music and his absolutely uh, abiding paranoia uh, about mm -hmm. everything else in the world. And so what you get is, you know, it, it, it is, uh, you know, is uh, songs, uh, great, wonderful, mostly acoustic based songs that sound a little bit like the band, but they're all about like, what's this government official doing at my door? And like, <laughs> right. you know, I, uh, you know, they're, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go to the protest with some trigger happy police there. And, you know, acute schizophrenia blues. I'm a 20th century man, but I don't want to die one. I mean, he is just a, so it's a traditional music from a man out of time and place. And it's very funny, you know, um, uh, and, um, uh, Dave Davis uh, has got a, a, a lot of incredible guitar playing and a couple songs in there, and uh, and that's it's funnier than hell. Yeah. I mean, it's it's you know, I mean, it's almost their version of uh, a very a, a, a very skewed American vaudeville. Yeah. It, it's such a great like combination of like British culture and the fascination with American culture, but not in like such a 
on the nose way that like the stones will do because you have like have a cup of tea which is inherently so english uh but then you get to like that chorus and it's just like just like a more of a country song yeah the more you the more you listen to like oh they're doing like the british kind of beat thing but like it's it's kind of country like oh they're just like inventing glam yeah yeah for sure yeah and that's the other part of it too especially like on skin and bone which is like yeah it it is a t-rex song it's totally a t-rex song uh you know i mean nobody really knew who these guys were you know um uh but on the other hand they were having you know, sold out arena shows in the middle 70s and hits in the 80s, like Come Dancing, which is an incredible song. And that was long after, you know, that was the case for most of their peers. So in a weird way, it gave them a kind of longevity because nobody knew them as one thing. So they didn't expect them, you know, to uh, to or they didn't they didn't revolt when they became something else. And this isn't really my story to tell, but I'll tell it anyway, because it's really funny to me and I, I might get it wrong but in the folk tradition um i'm going to just try retelling it you don't have to put it in the podcast it doesn't fit but um we are mutual friends with somebody who knows ira kaplan from yola tango who was working with ray on some material and i, I don't know if yola tango was backing them or whatever but ira and ray were working together and um then i guess ray went down to new orleans where he got shot and um you know, in conversation, somebody had mentioned to Ira that uh, Ray had mellowed considerably since he had been shot. And I believe that Ira's response was, oh, well, if I knew that, then I would have shot him a long time ago. <laughs> uh, so, that's just one man's that opinion one man's, and it, i'm not even sure i got that completely correct nah, but that's no it's perfect the way you said it yeah. don't, don't change a beat but no, i i agree and i think they're a band that benefits from go you know listening back now and being like oh that's where bowie got that yeah, yeah. oh yeah. that's where everyone um from 1970s punk got that yeah that's where cool. blur got that i mean park life is a is a kinks album oh, yeah modern yeah. life is rubbish is it's a kinks album the 90s you know what i mean so they definitely have that benefit a uh, big alex chilton big star you know so much of um, what they were doing uh alex aside for sure not so much chris bell probably but certainly um from alex chilton's side it's just like oh they they influenced like so much of like what like the alternative music is going to be you know they were kind of alternative to the beatles and in some regard and so i think that's probably the way to look at it yeah yeah that was kind of yeah uh for number eight we have zeppelin four yeah (laughs) great album You know, I always imagine, um, you know, Led Zeppelin for 
um, you know, even for guys uh, not uh, allergic to their own mythology. I mean, this must be the point where they're like, okay, this is <laughs> right. a little silly. You know, we are, you know, hammer of the gods. We are of your own lords. Uh, and I love Immigrant Song, you know, I mean, I don't know. Like, it, what, it, what precisely is Stairway to Heaven? Uh, it is. The worst song on the album? But the most popular song, you know, uh, in the history of the world. <laughs> so it's like, so in the history of the electric guitar? Yeah. You know, um, going to California is very lovely. But, you know, I, I, I always like to think that moving ahead and House of the Holy and 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 is a reading. We're there for the whole ride. We love, yeah, we love the guys. But you know, there's coming out of this a little more self awareness. Maybe this is their Joshua tree, where they're so completely one thousand percent committed to their bit that you know it comes out a little silly, uh, if a little awesome. Uh, you know, on Black Dog and Rock and Roll, but it's like you know, and then moving ahead, there's some. Just a, just just enough self awareness, you know that it that it that it doesn't seem quite 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 so quite so silly. But uh, but you know, I mean, it's like what you saying was like Mount Rushmore, you know. Uh, it's ridiculous, particularly that it's there and it will never go away. So you may as well put it in number eight. Uh, yeah, it's like hard to remember that Battle of Evermore is not a Spinal Tap song. They're ridiculous for sure, but I don't know that there's any band that ever sounds better than Zeppelin when you put it on. I mean, it's yeah. just so exciting. They're yeah, recorded so well. Jimmy Page is such a good guitar player, and what he does is insane. And it's so exciting to hear them, you know, doing what what they're doing. And it's it's really hard. And and um, so I, I mean, you know, just like that's the pound thing for pound, like yeah, they like are they're fucking awesome. They're yeah. the and we're like sometimes nothing else will do i mean i you know, i like mm. sometimes you just have to hear them do that thing and they do it on Led at one four yeah uh it's not my it's not my favorite of theirs but uh but it, it'll give you what you need if that's you know yeah. what, what is uh what, what what is the jones and i think the popular arg- argument too about that record is that that's kind of the a lot of origin story of a lot of metal um, oh, I think for a sure. lot of bands pull a lot of influence from from Zeppelin IV. Uh, that's not my argument because I don't listen to it. No, metal, but I totally think that, that is a popular argument. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a phenomenal album. But and I think the comparing it to Joshua Tree is 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 an apt analogy because it is it, it like it's yeah. Uh, you hope self awareness comes out from the other side of it. But it is an album they make where it is. It is. They mean all of it. Like it is. It is dripping yeah. with sincerity yeah. in, in a way that may feel, you know, in hindsight, you know, somewhat like embarrassing. But they, they're not phoning any of it in. No, like, no. And, and, and so there is. And, and I mean, come on, like John John Paul Jones is an arranger. The the greatest rock drummer Who's, of all time, John Paul yeah. Jones. By the way, the genius of the band. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. the one the one who like, keeps it interesting. I, oh, they all keep it. I'm bond, yeah, but, but, but yeah, greatest know. greatest rock drummer of all time. Uh, one of one of the five or six greatest rock guitar players of all time. And I mean, whether whether you like him or not, like Robert Plant is is just 
no one else does that thing better. And so, I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of bands in the seventies that tried to do that thing. None of them did that as well as Led Zeppelin does. And and you're absolutely right. If that's what you're going for, you turn on four and that's, it's, it's good as it gets for them. It's the best of what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. All right. At number nine, we have Maggot Brain. There it is. There you go. I want you to hit it. Can't, you can't you can't beat Maggot Green. It's fucking incredible. Yes. Uh, Eddie Hazel. Uh, I mean, and I'm just talking about the title track, but that you know, I mean, can you get to that? Uh, oh. I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, George Clinton's. You know, he's. I guess he's the most, maybe in many ways, the most overlooked major genius mm-hmm. uh, of the era. Uh, I, I think that um, you know. Um, in terms of the project of welding, amongst many other things, the project of welding psychedelic music and soul, which was, you know, everybody from, you know, Jimi Hendrix to Dwayne Allman. I mean, it's like, nobody did it better and nobody did it better than this. And I mean, Maggot Brain is just, it's just a monster record, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and of course it's, it's, it's weird and you're kind of in, sci-fi p-funk world but it's just like but the tunes are unstoppable and and in its you know um dystopian way is it's almost like there's a ride going on projected a hundred years in the future you know uh and so yeah i mean it's just you know incredible collection of musicians uh incredible collection of songs hasn't aged a day i mean production no. wise i mean you no. and like hidden quit it comes on you're like this came out yesterday yeah like it, it's yeah 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 so, exceptional yeah that's that's that that's number nine should we go to number 10 10 all right our number 10 is every picture tells a story uh okay which uh maybe you know we we Crossed out a lot of records at the number 10 slot, as I'm sure you all did. Um, first of all, Faces and Rod had three records come out in 1971. Mm-hmm. Long player, a nod, it's as good as a wing to a blind horse, and every picture tells a story. Um, and so they're all great. And I think they, you know, you could probably kind of group them all together because it's basically Rod and the Faces mm-hmm. doing this record. Um uh, I, I think we like every picture tells a story because it's like this vocal showcase for rod um and i'm wearing a rod stewart t-shirt so like i am a stan i guess um for for rod the mod um i think you know he could sing the phone book um but all of his readings of the material on this record are uh profound and and transcendent um and I, i i think it's it's a you know he gets you know he gets lumped in with you know being ridiculous and being a sort of I don't know, a, a novelty act or something because he, he's kind of a ridiculous man and he's done a lot of ridiculous gestures. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I, whenever I hear him sing, I, I'm just so moved by, um, the way that he's able to convey material. Um, and, and so we're, as I say, we're just huge broad fans. And the fact that they had three records come out in 1971 alone, all of them, great. Um, I think is a testament to how good the faces were as a band and, and just how powerful Rod is as a singer. So um, that was the reason why we included it and left off so many, many great records. Wake up, Maggie, I think I got something to say to you. It's late September and I really should be back at school. I know I keep you amused, but I feel I'm being used. Oh, Maggie, I couldn't have tried Is is Maggie May Rod Stewart's best song? I, I think it's on a short list. What do you okay. think? No, because well, uh, for me, I, I think it is. And so uh-huh. I, I so every picture tells the story is not in my top ten, uh-huh. but this is my favorite Rod Stewart album. Yeah, of course. And and I think Maggie May is his best song. And I love Tomorrow Is a Long Time as the lead in to Maggie May because. Tomorrow's a Long Time is one of those Dylan tracks that I feel like is covered by a thousand people. This is my single favorite version of this song. I, I like this version of this song more than Dylan's version of this song. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, I, so this, this is my favorite Rod Stewart album. It is not in my 10, but I, I, I support this pick. Rod, uh, there are certain deities in this household, uh, <laughs> lesser and higher. Uh, and you know, like any, like any, any, like any sort of belief system, you know, not everybody has to agree, but in this household, uh, Rod is, uh, is pretty high. I love it. This is bad podcasting. This is bad podcast, but someone has a story. It's a singer. I don't even know who, but he was like saying that every singer I've ever met doesn't like his or her voice and wishes they had a different voice. Except for Rod Stewart. <laughs> well, that makes me feel at peace. Uh, at least he also knows. Uh, yeah. No. All right, Rob. So I'm I'm going through my list. So, have you been amending it this whole time? No, I haven't. Okay. I'm, but I, I'm so what I've, I'm just making notes. So I'm there's only three songs that are on my list that are not on either of the other lists that have mentioned. So we're going to have seven songs or seven albums of overlap. 
Um, but the order is good, but I'm a three unique songs in order is going to be different. My number one in, and I tried, we've done this for like three weeks now of trying to do like some canonical list or some objective list, or what are the best albums in 1971? And that's impossible to do. And I've given up on it every time I've tried. So here it, it's just my favorite. This is, this is, if we're talking 1971 and these albums, this is what I want to listen to. This is what I want to spend on the turntable my favorite album of the year is tapestry so number number one is carol king's tapestry my my number two and uh you know listening to these albums again over the last couple of days uh my kids started school this week and so i drove them to school on tuesday listening to funkadelic's maggot brain and uh, I, I didn't know whether or not this may be the worst dad or the best dad. In the world. <laughs> um, yeah, so they, they both went to school for their first day of school, you know, in a brand new place, um, you know, listening to Maggot Brain. Uh, but that's my number two is Maggot Brain. Just Important such a life lessons on there for I mean, children. It's, it's just I, I just love it. I, I love this album so much. Uh, number three. There's a riot going on. Um, we don't need to say anything else about it that hasn't already been said. Number four is my first is my first album that is unique to my list. Curtis Mayfield's Roots. We who are young should now take a stand. Don't run from the burdens of women and men. Continue to give. Continue to live. But what you know is right Most of your life Can be out of sight Withdraw from the darkness And look to the light For everyone's free At least that's the way it's supposed to be We just keep on keeping on I, this is, so I, I love Curtis Mayfield, love Curtis Mayfield. Um, this is an album that as we've been listening to albums, getting ready over the last couple months to do this podcast, I, I mean, this has just grown on me so much. I, this, um, after the Superfly Superfly soundtrack, this might be my favorite Curtis Mayfield album. Huh. Um, even even I, I think I like this more than Curtis. Um, it's it doesn't have quite the pop sensibility that Curtis does, but there is there is something I love. And so we talked about like what is the political statements of 1971 and in kind of dealing with and processing through, um, you know the the. <laughs> the shine of the hippie movement has, you know, the, the sixties has, has died off in all of the optimism and hope of change that I think came with the sixties, I think has, has largely died off. And there is a, there is an optimism still in roots that I, that, that I just love. And I, I love that about Curtis Mayfield. Number, number five, Led Zeppelin's four. Number six, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. 
Number seven in this, this came up from being outside of my top 10 and into my top 10 is sticky fingers by the Rolling Stones. Uh, number eight, Paul McCartney's Ram, which is an, another album that just in the last year has kind of climbed up my list. And, and yeah, I, I'm, I think I'm with you, Makai. I think that this is my favorite of the post Beatles, uh, Beatles records. Um, number nine, number nine and 10 are both, are both unique to my list. Number nine, Aretha Franklin live at the Fillmore West. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to say before we leave that you have been much more than I could have ever expected. I'd like to leave you saying, reach out and touch somebody's head. Make this a better world if you can. We love you. Reach out and touch somebody's head. Why don't you make it a better world if you can? Turn around and touch your brother, touch your sister. Reach out and touch, extend your hand. Somebody's head. Make this a better world. I think this was the first uh, Aretha Franklin album that I bought on vinyl. Um, and I got this in college in, you know, I think got it incredibly cheap and it just, because it was like, Oh, Hey, here's, you know, here's, here's an Aretha Franklin album. I can get Jeep that has all these songs I recognize. Aretha Franklin is, is a phenomenal singer. And I think that you can look at, um, I've never loved a man that I love the way that I love you. Like th- there are these huge Aretha Franklin albums, but I think Aretha Franklin gets forgotten about as a live artist. And in a year where a lot of people will point to the Allman brothers live at the Fillmore East as, as like the kind of seminal live album of that year. For me, I think Aretha Franklin at the Fillmore West is the better live album of, of that year. And I think it really highlights what a phenomenal performer she is. Um, you know, I, I think she's a, obviously she's a, a, a gifted studio musician and most of the songs that we think about when we think about Aretha Franklin, we're, we're thinking about, you know, the, these studio performances. Um, she is a powerful live artist. And I think Aretha live at the Fillmore West just demonstrates that. I don't, I'm relatively sure I didn't know that even was a title. So I'm incredibly grateful for you for bringing that up. That sounds like the thing I want to turn on as soon as as we're done. done. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a great moment at the end of the record, uh, a reprise with Ray Charles. Mm -hmm. That's just this great like document of like R&B and soul music that just exists on this record that people don't really talk about even, I mean, as far as even like great Aretha Franklin albums go, yeah, but yeah, no, it's, it's not familiar to me. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted if I'm excited. Yeah. So Aretha Franklin live at the Fillmore West is my number nine. Um, my number 10, Brighter Later by Nick Drake. Wow. I could have been a sailor. A real life lover could have been a book. 
Simple as a kettle, steady as a rock. I could be here and now. I would be, I should be, but I how? I could have been. I think I think Nick Drake, you know, again is is one of those artists for me that there's there's just something about. So the the way you know, so Joni Mitchell obviously doesn't make my my top ten, and Joni Mitchell is one of those artists that objectively I can go, oh yeah, they're a great artist, but for for as phenomenal of an album as Blue is, um, I I struggle to get through it. It is. So if if Led Zeppelin's four is the heaviest album musically on my list, uh, Blue is is emotionally the heaviest album that, <laughs> come, that comes out this year, and it it's just, I, and maybe it's personal preference, but like I I just have a hard time getting through it. Like it is by by the time I get to River, like I you know e- either either I'm ready to turn the album off or it's a thing of being like, all right, well, I must've really wanted to cry today. Yeah. Cause, cause like that, that's it. Like you either have to be in that mood yeah. to like listen to something that intense or yeah. it's just not something enjoyable. Otherwise, no, it's, not a, it's not a, it's not a, an experience where you sort of dip a toe in the water and blue and say, all right, I'm going to move on now to Weezer or whatever. You know I mean? It's like, you know, once you're in, you're like, hey, I'm going to be here all day. But but yeah, so for me, brighter later by Nick Drake. I think you get, um, you know, one of these things first. Uh, Northern Lights. I mean, you you get uh, some. You know, obviously, Pink Moon is is I think the the kind of more popular Nick Drake album. But I, I think there's a statement. You know, I think I think there's an argument to be made for brighter later as as the best Nick Drake album. And for, for an artist that, you know, were it not for a series of Volkswagen commercials in the early 2000s, I don't feel like would ever have gotten the appropriate love that he should have gotten. Um, I love this album. And then for me, the if there was one that I struggled to leave off, Hunky Dory was the one that I, I struggled with leaving off the list. I, I, I struggle with Nick Drake. Uh, I, I, he is such a beautiful singer. Uh, but Brighter Later is the one that I go to, um, you know, and... Um, you know, it's to me is sort of the poppiest. You've got you know, skews a, a little catchy, it gets a little big, and mm-hmm. uh, and, and 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 a lot of it's absolutely gorgeous. I forgot that came out this year too, but um, but I definitely that's the one for me as well. Well, and I feel like also um, you don't really get a lot of this sort of orchestral and miniature arrangements of Bell and Sebastian. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, And so I thank Nick Drake for that. Also, it's Stuart Murdoch's birthday, so happy birthday, Stuart Stuart Murdoch. Stuart Murdoch, Bell and Sebastian. But, yeah, I I think he was highly influential on on the way that they approached at least their earlier material before they got super glam. Um, And I I think that's absolutely wonderful. Okay. So so we have Nick Drake to thank for Boy with the Arab Strap and Tiger Lily and... If you're feeling sinister. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, some some great Bell and Sebastian albums. Oh, that, you know what? If we if we're ever invited back, and I understand that's a long shot, let's do Bell and Sebastian. That would be fun. Well, I, we could absolutely do. So, um, there's there's a I don't know about Micaiah, but um, we've we've already started putting our list together for our second season to start lining up guests, and so we'll 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 definitely reach out to you all about some albums that we have coming up in the next season. Um, I don't know that we're going to have Bell and Sebastian on this next season, okay. but, but uh, if you're feeling sinister is definitely a, a legitimate contender, I think for our third season. Nice. Very cool. Nice. So where do we land? So are we prepared to say that there's a riot going on or maggot brain? Which of these two will we say is if we had to say is a like definitive album of 1971, I think we all rank there's a right going on a, above maggot brain so i think we're pretty unanimous that that's kind of the seminal record of the time i, I i'm i'm prepared to advance yeah. it yeah i'm 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 comfortable saying that yeah it, it may not line up with kind of all the other canonical lists of of this year but i i i think i i think if we're looking for the definitive album of 1971, I think we'd be hard pressed to find a better one than there's a right going on. Well, um, Sam and Elizabeth, you, you, you are officially friends of the pod now having, having, having gone on twice. Um, so for our listeners, uh, you've, you've heard, uh, Tim Elizabeth before, but, um, uh, Elizabeth is a, uh, gifted and well-published writer and, and Tim writes with her occasionally. Um, and they both are members of the paranoid style who have just, uh, spent some time working on their latest album for our listeners. When can we expect to hear the latest from the paranoid style? Uh, November, I hope, um, Mm. we're still waiting to get an official release date from our label, but, uh, I'm hoping before the year is out, uh, because I know everyone wants to get more paranoid style in their life. So sometime this year. Well, we are very excited for that. Um, Did you have a reissue recently too, or? <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we we reissued an EP we put out in 2015 because we ran out of copies of it and we stuck another song on there. That was the one that's called Rock and Roll Just Can't Recall. And now it has four extra songs. So it was a five song EP to start, but then we added on four extra songs over time. So now it's up to nine. And I just hope to keep adding to it. <laughs> there, there'll be a Rock and Roll Just Can't Recall EP uh, with one more song on it. And uh, soon it'll be like my Sandinista. There you go. I love it. Well, for our listeners, uh, let us know how how our, our listeners can keep up with you. Where can they find you online on social media? Where can they hear more about the Paranoid Style and when this album is going to drop? Cool. Um, thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, so we are at Paranoiacs on Twitter. I believe we are at Paranoid underscore Style on Instagram. Um, something on Facebook, but who cares? Because Facebook sucks. Um, <laughs> And then um, check out, we're on Bandcamp. We're on the Barn on Records Bandcamp page. Um, and then we're also on the Barn on Records website. That's bar-none.com. Um, and I think that's pretty much the whole gamut, you know. Um, I, I'm, I don't think we're on TikTok or Snapchat, so. <laughs> okay, so not, so not yet. Not yet. Uh, Elizabeth and Tim, um, thank you all so much for doing this. It's always a treat to have you on. And uh, we will look forward to, I'm sure, talking to you again some at some point next season uh, about a- another album 
that we will all dive in deep together, I'm sure. Uh, we had a blast. And um, yeah, can't wait for the next season. And um, so much. thank you guys. We'll look you up. And, and we'll yeah, let's do a thing. I would not have expected going into it that our list would be so different. I mean, there was, there was some crossover from your and my list. There was some crossover between your and their list and mine. And their list. like there was, there was some crossover that we had across our list. And then each of us had some albums that were standalone. We were the only people that had them on our lists. Mm-hmm. And yet across all of that, three albums were on all three lists. Sly and the Family Stones, there's a riot going on. Marvin Gaye's What's Going On and Funkadelic's Maggot Brain. I'm okay with those three being our three album picture of what music was like in 1971 or maybe some of, uh, you know, a three album collection of some of the best of 1971. I'm, I'm okay with that list. Right. You know me. This is not a shock to anyone who's listened to any episode of this. I think Jody Mitchell's Blue is... Is, is number one, but I also really delight in the fact that of those three, the one that was ranked the highest on our three lists was there's a right going on. Like there is pretty unanimous between us that that's kind of the album of 1971. And I don't think we're wrong. Even, even if Joni Mitchell is my preference, I, I think we're, we're right between the three of us that that's kind of like, the best kind of snapshot or representation of where music was and where music was going, you know, it, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, really proud of the, the outcome here. So listener, you have heard a ton of music on this episode. The final edit of this episode has included songs from each of the albums that we talked about, which is a ton of music to listen to, but here's what we also know to be true. You've heard a lot of music on this episode, and yet there is great music from 1971 that has been left off. There are great albums that we have not talked about. There's great songs we have not talked about. And so Micaiah has done the work, and he's put together a 1971 playlist of the best songs from 1971. And that's available, of course, if you follow us on Spotify, our Spotify uh, our Spotify playlist account, you forgot one. Uh, you can find our playlist there and follow them. And you can see Micaiah's 1971 playlist there, which is going to include all sorts of great music that we want to encourage you to go and listen to Micaiah. Uh-huh. We've got something very exciting coming up next week. We're not taking a two week break for this episode. We will be back next week with something really exciting tell our listeners what they have to look forward to next week all right gen x rejoice because it's the 30th anniversary of nirvana's Nevermind. get your flannels on um <laughs> yeah uh, you know get your coffee in hand um you know stop washing your hair for a few days get that skin and hair nice and oily get out your old you know pawn shop fender guitars And uh, it's time for every musician you know to start playing Smells Like Teen Spirit as we celebrate the 30th anniversary of Nirvana's Nevermind. So we'll see you back next week. 
Again, our thanks to our guests today, Elizabeth Nelson and Tim Bracey. Uh, what a treat. Great to have friends of the pod on. And we will see you back next week as we talk about Nirvana's Nevermind. Nevermind.